You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. Hi everyone, Paul here, and just a quick message from me to let you know that if you are looking to improve the performance of your team, no matter whether it is a work, sporting, or community one, then we've developed some tools to help. On the website, you will find our Thriving Teams Diagnostic, which uses insights from the more than 200 great coaches we have interviewed to challenge you with a series of questions to help you understand how your team is performing. It's free and only takes a few minutes to complete. If you'd like to know more, you can check out our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to the Lessons from the Great Coaches podcast. I've learned that you don't do it alone. You learn so many different things from so many different coaches. That's an elite learning environment. Failure is not a problem. How you deal with it is a problem. How to be resilient. How important it is to infuse joy in the process of learning. To be a good coach, you've got to give more than you take. What an interesting life it is to be a leader. My name is Paul Barnett, and you are listening to The Great Coaches Podcast, where we explore leadership through the lens of high-performance sport by interviewing great coaches from around the world to try and find ideas to help all of us be better leaders. We started this podcast because we wanted to have better conversations with our families around the dinner table. In a social media world where the goal is often to be the star of the show, we wanted to change the conversation and talk more about selflessness, leadership and responsibility. And the people we knew who best exhibited these qualities were great sports coaches. As the podcast has grown, the great coaches we have interviewed have shared so much insight and wisdom that we decided to create episodes dedicated entirely to the lessons that have resonated with us the most. Today's episode is on the topic of tough times and what advice the great coaches have in dealing with them. The Lessons from the Great Coaches Podcast Today's episode uses a different format from our previous Lessons episodes. I'm joined by Grant Liversage for a discussion on tough times. Grant is an executive and leadership coach and also tutor on the Oxford University SAID Business School Economics of Mutuality program. He has also been a managing director of international companies in Europe, India and Africa and lived in places as diverse as Hong Kong, India, Mozambique, Portugal, Zambia, South Africa and the Czech Republic. His perspective is truly global, and in this conversation, he couples the view of great coaches on leading through tough times with a perspective from the corporate world. 
It's a different style of conversation, and I hope you enjoy it as much as we did. Hello, everybody. It's Grant Liversage here, and I've got uh, with me Paul Bonnet, who is the the creator and the person behind the Great Coaches podcast. And what I'm going to be doing today is talking to Paul about the leadership lessons from these great coaches and how leading in tough times is a subject that uh, we can get wisdom from these great coaches. So maybe just to start off, Paul, I mean, what is tough times? Well, Grant, it's good to be with you tonight. I love chatting all things coaching, and it's good to spend a bit of time with you just reflecting on it. So when we were preparing for this, and I was thinking about the way that the great coaches talk about tough times, it's more in relation to your performance is consistently below expectation. And I think it's relevant at the minute because many of us in a business sense are experiencing very tough business conditions, but these are not the tough times that people outside of work are experiencing. You know, men and women who are struggling to make ends meet in the families. We've got this horrible situation on the border near where I live, of course, here in Romania. We've got the Ukraine situation. And I think those are very different tough times. And I don't want to underplay that by the discussion we're going to have tonight around this whole idea of systemic or maybe endemic or ongoing underperformance of the team or the organization that you're a part of. But Grant, what about from your perspective? How do you define tough times? So I think the definitely, you know, you, you reference a sort of underperformance as, as something that you would regard as a tough time. And of course, the, the recent past would, would tend to put that in a less important category because of the kind of things that are going on around us. I think the most important thing for me is that tough times is so personal You know, we could have gone through the same kind of context and events and people experience it differently. And what they find tough in, for example, a lockdown is different uh, across different people. And the kind of existential stuff that you spoke uh, about manifests itself differently in in different people's lives. And I guess the hopefully what we're going to explore during this podcast is although how they present are quite different is the kind of tools that you can bring to bear. Let's explore to see if there is commonality through that. So, Paul, you've done over 100 episodes now in your podcast with some fantastic coaches. And uh, what are the lessons uh, that they've got for uh, leading in tough times? No, when I was, you know, when I was preparing for today, when, when we were talking about this topic, I went back through this database I've created with where I've sort of clipped things that they've said. And I I was trying to cluster them. And I think there's sort of three key lessons, I think. There's three key learnings that come through in dealing with with tough times. And the first is this idea of reframing it. So thinking about it in terms of something good will come from this, that the lesson will be in some way life enriching. And I've, I've got this quote that I'll I'll play now from Eddie Jones, the the fantastic English rugby coach. He's coached all over the world in Japan and Australia. And and he he is quite stoic in his approach to coaching. But I think in this quote, he talks a little bit about embracing tough times for what the lessons they can give you. And I think it's it's the ability to be able to teach them that it doesn't always have to be fun and you don't always have to be happy. And at times there are difficult situations, but there's a fun too. And the fun to sticking at something, doing it well, and then achieving. 
And I think it's almost you've always got to be conscious of the fact there's a, a fun there that you've got to let them have, you know, and, and it's teaching players about how do you find that fun too? How do you understand fun too is something that you've got to stick at. It's going to, at times going to be uncomfortable. At times there's going to be bits and pieces where you don't like. And uh, you just keep on trying to find ways to get it through. The second thing I, I think that comes through is this whole idea of the lesson, no matter, no matter what it is, will eventually be positive. There is always some learning that comes through this, this dip that you go through. But you have to mind for it. You have to have, have an open mind for it and you have to really, really be on the lookout for it. And I think the quote I've got the best illustrates this is Sandy Brondello. Now, Sandy's a, an Australian. She's coached the Australian uh, basketball team, but she coaches in the WNBA in America and she's, she's won the WNBA championship and she's in New York at the minute. And I think what's good is that she's got two teenage boys. And in the interview, she references life, she references her, her family, and she references sport. And so this quote's, a, I think, a, a good one that illustrates that as well. You know, everyone sees only the good things, but players, even at the top, they go through so much adversity. But I think that was a defying moment for me that kind of helped to be the person that I am. And that's what's so important for my teams. I think the most successful teams handle adversity. And if you, and, and really, how do you, how do you grow as a person? And that's what, you know, how you, or, or as a sports person is through the negative experience. Now I try and make sure that, and, you know, I, I know you've read a quote from me. I say, and I stole, it's not my quote. It's, you know, the lesson of the experience is always positive, even though at the time it was negative and it's very painful, but sometimes we have to go through those hard times to fully appreciate the good times, the successful times. And the third thing, Grant, and I think this is the one that probably resonated with me the most, and it, it comes from a lady called Corey Close, who is another basketball coach. She's in America. But what's interesting is that one of Corey's mentors was, was John Wooden, who's one of the greatest coaches of all time. In fact, if you Google great coaches, his name comes up first. And she had this great philosophy of basically saying your R, your response, must be greater than the E, the event. And in this quote, she sort of unpacks that a little bit and she, she starts to talk about your response to the situation and taking control of that. And it, it, it really connected with me. So, and I'll, I'll play that quote from, from Corey now as well. Okay. At the end of this time that you've not had to sit out, so to speak, what do you want to be able to say about your response? What do you want to be able to look back and go, man, I chose to strengthen my R. I chose to respond a certain way. And as a result of those choices, this is what transpired. This was the work I did in the dark that got revealed in the light, so to speak, later on. But sometimes when we all tend to look at like our circumstances and go, oh, this is what we can't do. This is what we can do. But when you are committed to your response or discipline over default, you choose to say, okay, where is it that I can grow? Maybe an unpredictable way as a, this event is hard. This event is not what I would have chosen, but maybe it will force us to the uncomfortable places where the real growth and change happens when you have to make those hard choices that develop deep character and life-changing habits so it's a work in progress it's an everyday kind of thing now i mean that's uh, the this whole thing about reframing and reviewing things from a different angle is such a powerful tool in overcoming what seems to be overwhelming in front of you but grant could i Ask you, 
your perspective. I mean, you're, you're involved with Oxford, you're, you're engaging with business executives there, you're also coaching people all around the world. And I'm, I'm curious to see how the people that you're coaching and connecting with, how they're experiencing tough times. Something that the people that I'm coaching have got in common in dealing with tough times is that they are being coached. And what an important element of of coaching is it enables this process of reflection that you, you spoke, you referenced earlier, this thing about reframing. And in order to be able to reframe something, you have to be able to extract yourself from the situation and view it almost like as in the adaptive leadership there's this tool called moving from the dance floor onto the balcony. And that's essentially what coaching enables people to do is to extract themselves, get a reflective space around them where they're not getting overcome by events, but actually being able to view them. So, of course, all of the contexts and situations and difficulties that people are experiencing are their own, as I I mentioned earlier. But this ability to utilize a tool to enable that reframing, which is what coaching brings about. Of course, you can do the same thing without coaching, having conversations with yourself or with others that that enable that sort of extraction from the, the hustle and bustle of the tough time that's unfolding around you. And what about this whole idea of having conversations with yourself? I mean, it's a it's an intriguing idea, and I know a lot of the great coaches talk about helping athletes deal with their internal voice and finding ways to deal with it. And there's all kinds of ideas that I've heard. A, a self-talk diary was was something that a, an English cricket coach talked about. And I'm just wondering how you go about helping people find the right questions to be asking themselves. Yeah, that's, a, that's such a powerful concept because – Essentially, the process of personal improvement, personal development is founded in good self-awareness. In, in, I mean, there's this phrase I know that you use quite a lot is this, where are you? You know, meeting people where they are. And in order to know what you have to do to get somewhere, you have to know where you are. And this concept of where you are is a process of of self-awareness it's not geography where are you geographically it's where is your mind at how are you coping what what is the the impacts of the tough time having on you and this process of increasing self-awareness focusing on on what's what's going on now has an element of self-talk and a conversation with yourself typically what i find with coaching is that a lot of people have not contemplated having a conversation with themselves. And the first couple of coaching sessions actually are filling a space with questions and answers that essentially the coach is just facilitating a dialogue with yourself around questions so that people, and if you use silence well, people tend to go to a very self-reflective space. And perhaps it feels less weird if there's a coach on the other side than getting used to talking to yourself. But very much the conversation that you have with yourself is a big determinant of, of how prepared you are for the next step, whether you're stuck or whether you're confident to take that next step. I had a great example of that, actually, where I was talking to a coach called Damien Hardwick. He coaches the Richmond Tigers. And they He's quite an amazing chap because he was failing or was definitely not succeeding as a coach. And he went over to Harvard and he did an authentic leadership 
a course over there. And he came back and he he changed the way he coached. And there was a book written about it and he's, he's featured in a documentary. But there's this great example he gives of when players come off the field and you have this impression that, that he's there giving them instruction on what to do, but he does exactly what you just said. He, he asks them questions to figure out where they are now. He wants them to answer where they are physically, emotionally. Then he'll say to them, what options have you got? And then he, well, actually, why don't I just play you the audio quote so you can hear it for yourself? The players have got a better understanding of what the game feels like than you in the coach's box upstairs. So, And they generally know the response that is required, but sometimes they just might need a little prod about, listen, this isn't working. What do you think is another action that you might be able to do? Oh, this one? No, maybe something a little bit more A, B or C. Oh, yeah, what about this? Yep, that's exactly what I'm looking for. What does it look like? Describe it to me. Yeah, it means I'm, I'm doing this, this and this. What will it feel like when you've had that success? Well, I reckon I'll feel a bit more in flow. That's exactly right. Okay, you're back on in 30 seconds. Let's go. Because it's a one-and-a-half-minute conversation, but it's going to get a better result than you just yelling at a bloke down the line, you need to do this better. If they come up with a solution, they're more invested and they're more importantly, they're thinking about what it looks like in their own head as they're talking to you and they can picture it. Great. I mean, that's such a, I mean, this whole concept of knowing where you are and, and using that as the, the, the foundation for the next step is really so fundamental. And I guess the, one of the things in tough times, or some people would call VUCA, this you know, volatile, uncertain, uh, complex and ambiguous, is that you don't really know what to do. And a lot of people are so used to, especially high-performing executives and, and perhaps athletes, they're used to knowing what to do next. And tough times, what to do next is not obvious. And being able to take a step forward when the obvious right step it doesn't present itself, but as it does in normal situations, takes it takes some doing. I've been listening a little bit, not listening, but going back over some of the interviews with combat coaches, some of the boxing coaches and karate coaches and kickboxing coaches, and they have to go through this walk to the ring when tension and anxiety is at its highest. And a lot of them, when I ask them what they talk about in the walk to the ring, they all talk about jokes and lightening the mood, trying to get these routines where people can smile a little bit. And I I also, um, I also interviewed this amazing lady called Beverly Priestman who coached the Canadian women's soccer team to the Olympic gold medal. And Bev shared this great story of how in the days leading up to the gold medal match, she purposely tried to just lighten the mood in the team. And I'll, I'll play the clip for you now, but she credits this with just getting people into the right frame of mind to then go onto the pitch and, and win that next day. So this tension is something that, that is, I think is something that all leaders are experiencing, or at least I'm definitely experiencing at the minute. So what I did is, is I actually gave the players the day off in the village. I, I could have done the opposite. I could have done more meetings, more tactics, more. And I really, a little bit like what I was saying before, I lightened the load. I had the best day of my whole Olympics. I had a nap. Longest nap I've had in the whole Olympics. I went on a massage chair. I made sure that I felt light because I knew the energy that would have been taken from us to beat the US took us everything. We needed to get that back. And so I think in the in the final, it almost didn't feel like a final. And I know that sounds weird, but it's because we didn't have any fans in the stands. It was a bit airy. It was a bit... So that pressure actually for me personally, of course, I was like on it and I wanted to win and all the rest of it. But it, I knew 
Doing that penalties, one, we'd practice them more than any other team. We'd put a whole load of work into it. So I felt prepared. And what will be, will be. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah, and I guess maybe, Paul, a question to you around leading a business in Eastern Europe, neighboring Ukraine. What are the leadership lessons that you've taken uh, from these podcasts uh, into how you are, how you're responding to that? Well, I think the things that I'm using at the minute to try and respond in the best way I can is, you know, it's a mix of sort of focusing on small things initially that you can succeed at, that can create some kind of momentum and energy. This is amplified by the fact that people are still working remotely and it's very difficult to build connection and a sense of belonging with them. But I am trying to develop sort of one or two small things that I can can do to, to move forward. I'm also picking up on one of the things you said earlier. I'm also self-reflecting a lot, a, a little bit more than I normally would. And I've carved out 15 minutes at the end of each day to just reflect on the day what I did, what I didn't do so well, and what I'm going to do better the next day. And then, and in doing that, I'm trying not to get caught up in overthinking because that's that's something that a lot of these great coaches talk about as well. It's sort of like this, this loop of reflect, learn, and move on. And again, actually, uh, Sandy Brondello, whose, whose clip I played earlier, she, she talked about that loop and she also referenced it with her own sons, which I thought added that, that extra layer of richness to it, this sort of reflect, learn and move on cycle is something I've been, been trying to do a little bit more of as well. I think the other thing I'm trying to do, Grant, is just normalise the expectations in tough times. You know, people are putting a lot of pressure on themselves. The world is changing. And I'm trying to find a balance between expectations or, as you and I have talked about a lot, actually, high challenge and high care and making sure that you're, you're challenging in the right areas, but you're also exhibiting the right amount of care for that particular situation. Now, you know, people are listening to this that probably work with me and I'm, and I'm getting feedback from them regularly, but I'm trying my best. And I think that's where the journaling comes in. There is lots of learning. There is lots of failure, but... Um, but I'm trying to move on and, and, and make the best or, or lead the best way I can through this situation. So one of the things that seems to come through in, in these clips is coaches trying to create perspective um, around what's really important, especially a lot of the time you talk about in every podcast, you ask the question, what's the legacy you hope to leave? 
And I haven't heard one of the coaches talk about results of the team. They talk about changing people. I mean, is that a, a perspective? Is that a reference to the perspective of meaning in results versus people and, and people development? I think it's such a such an interesting insight into the way they think, isn't it? I mean, these are these are great leaders who have tested their leadership in championships or Olympics or gold medal events. And and the reason I'm so interested in them, or rather we're interested in them, is that they come out on top and they have lessons to share. But it's so true. When it comes to legacy, there's w- women use a version of creating more opportunities for other women. That, that's often repeated. So opportunities for other is the legacy they want. And men do a version of, you know, wanting to improve the culture just a little bit or the lives of people just a little bit. There seems to be two, two very big themes. But what's even more interesting is, you know, I often ask them why they coach. What, I mean, why do you put yourself through this? And, you know, none of them talk about championships. None of them, They all talk about wanting to make a difference in the lives of people and sort of creating or moving people towards their full potential, building self-belief in people. And it's really, I mean, it's very altruistic. I think they all sort of laugh and say the championships help as well. But I think the championships just add that layer of proof or that layer of belief that what, they're, what they've tried and tested has worked or perhaps even hasn't worked. But this idea of of doing it for something other than the championship is very true. In fact, I'm working on an episode at the minute. You know, we we were talking about this before we came on air and I'm working on one at the minute about goal setting. And it's fascinating how many of them go into these Olympics or championships or World Cups and they don't talk about winning. They don't even talk about the scoreboard. They talk about improving, playing our best, uh, reaching our potential, making people proud but there's many instances where they just refuse to to reference the the end result they're going after, which is, I mean, in a corporate perspective, it's very strange, isn't it? Because we talk about it in terms of market share and growth and financial performance. We don't sort of talk about the daily behaviours foremost before we talk about those results. Yeah, although I wonder, Paul, I wonder if you if you were to look at high performing corporate teams and see what's behind it. And I I suspect that a reduced emphasis on business performance metrics and an increased emphasis on on the kind of stuff you've just described seems to be what what you would find. I'm I'm not sure what evidence there is to support that. But, yeah, I wonder if that's not the secret to high performing teams in a corporate setting. So Grant, this challenge around high-performing corporate teams I find fascinating because the, the number one thing that I have learned through doing this podcast is that people in a team want the leader or the coaches or the leadership team to care about them beyond their ability to produce a skill, a result, or a performance. They want to be cared for and understood as a holistic individual. And I'm not too proud to admit that that really surprised me. And it was so prevalent all over the world, this whole idea of care as being the number one thing that people in teams look for. And I think the second thing that I have discovered about high-performing teams is this whole idea of psychological safety. All the coaches talk about creating a safe environment. And initially, I was like, well, what does a safe environment mean? Because it's got these connotations, you know, of being a place where you've got to watch what you say. You know, you can't voice your opinion. And it's actually quite the opposite. Mm. 
they create this environment where people feel so comfortable they will say whatever they want and they will also push themselves to uncomfortable places. So I think this whole idea of psychological safety, of creating a space where people can say whatever they want, with, you know, within reason, you can't be rude to people, mm. you need to follow guardrails. But within those guardrails, you can say whatever you want. I, both of these things have been been absolutely fascinating to me when it comes to the overlap between high-performing sporting teams and I think the high-performing corporate environment as well. But Grant, maybe could I ask you a question? And that's, has there anything that you've heard when you've been interacting with the people that you've been coaching that's really surprised you when it comes to how people are dealing with tough times? So I think the definitely the thing that surprises me the most is how little time people invest in how well they're doing. And I I mentioned earlier this notion of of being overcome by events or how the urgent displaces the important. And, you know, in tough times, there's this impetus to to man the pumps, if you like. And I've been quite surprised at, at, at how low the amount of investment that people have had in moving onto the balcony. So I think this notion of being too busy to to focus on an aerial view, I think is is something that I've found surprising. In fact, I, I've coached some people who have never been coached before and never had that kind of conversation before. And that surprised me. You're coaching people that are leading organizations, some of them quite large organizations. Should coaching be mandatory? I think the thing is that coaching by its very nature is serving the needs of the coachee. And I think it feels to me that leadership is evolving in a way that this need for reflection, this need for what you called high care, high challenge, uh, and balancing the two is becoming much more accepted as perhaps a requirement for leadership and good leadership. So I think the the need for leaders to create space to reflect and to work on becoming this better version of themselves as a leader, I definitely think that that is going to increase. The role that coaching can play in that process, I think, is, is reasonably clear. There are other tools that, that people can use, but a more reflective leadership style in the future, I I think, is going to be a table stake. It's so interesting. Many of the great coaches talk about the mentors in their lives and and they have this ability to collect mentors. You know, they sort of collect them Mm. from early in their career and they stay with them as they move along. And even even Eddie Jones talked about his critical friend, a man called Neil Craig, who's a, who's a great coach in his own right. Neil's, Neil's coached at the elite level in three different sports. And, and, he, and Neil's job is to be this critical friend, you know, this, this sort of asking these, these tough questions, almost like a sparring partner. And I, I think if it's, it's a transition that is emerging into the corporate world as well, but as you know, and as many of the coaches tell us too, leadership can be lonely. So having that, person with you who can care and ask questions of you to help you improve, I think is a, is an indulgence. I don't know, but it's definitely, uh, it's definitely something that can make a big difference to your performance. If you think about this sort of 
leaders of organizations or teams in the corporate world, it used to be the, uh, leadership through knowing the answers. And, and I mean, of course, that's not really sustainable. I'm not sure if it was ever really true. But increasingly, the questions are way, way more important than than the answers. And that takes a lot of getting used to, especially because um, typically leaders have this strong personality, very little self-doubt, conviction and confidence. And, you know, in tough times, you don't know the answers. Care, as you, as you spoke about, is becoming way more important to find your way uh, to success than knowing the answers to all the questions. I interviewed Sean Dyche, who's was up until recently was the longest serving coach in the Premier League in England. And Sean was a success had a successful career, and then he he coached Burnley for nine and a half years. And he had a he had a good stint at, at Burnley. He uh, got them back into the European Cup, which they hadn't been in in over fifty years. But he had this great quote on leadership, and he and it was and I'll I'll insert the clip here afterwards. But he said something to the effect of, "Leadership is is knowing what to do." when you don't know what to do. And I thought it was such a strong <laughs> quote and such a great idea at the minute when many people mm. are facing once in a generation uh, supply chain, inflation, uh, issues that, you know, war back in Europe. It's, it's, uh, these are not things that we have a, a template to follow and to deal with, unfortunately. I thought, because football can be like that. You know, everyone's staring at you. It's not necessarily you don't know what to do, but you're thinking, I could do 50 different things here, and I've got 50 different voices and 50 different opinions, probably more nowadays with the media and social media and all that sort of stuff. But eventually everyone's still staring at you. And they're like, oh, man, you know what you're going to do? We have to do something. So it kind of does apply, you know what you know, know what to do when you don't know what to do, because everyone's staring at you, your team is staring at you, your staff is staring at you, the fans in a, you know, in a more distant way. So even when you get flummoxed and you get lost, You've got to come out with something that makes a difference. Paul, I just wanted to, I mean, it comes through quite strongly in your podcasts and, and something that I've been reading a lot about is this notion of compassion. Maybe if you can talk a little bit about this thread of compassion in the podcasts and what your personal take on it is. Well, I think many, many of the coaches talk about empathy and connect it with a whole idea of listening. And I, 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 haven't, I had that episode that I put out just on listening and how they talk about listening and listening with empathy. And one lady, Sue Enquist, this iconic American coach, one of the most fascinating people we've interviewed, she talked about how learning to listen marked her transition from being a transactional to a transformational leader. So there's something there around listening leading to empathy. But compassion, well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I, I sort of think about compassion as acting on your empathy. So here's what I understand. Here's what I'm going to act on. And, and I haven't, I haven't come across this idea of compassion a lot. What, what I hear a lot about is, you know, I will work with you. I will partner with you. I will, will hold you to a standard, but we will set that standard together. And so this movement from empathy to compassion seems to be a joint step though, that you do in, in tandem with your coach. How are you experiencing this whole link between empathy and compassion in your work? So I think, uh, yeah, compassion uh, in coaching. I think one of the the cornerstones of coaching and becoming a better 
version of yourself is the self-awareness that I mentioned earlier. And on top of that, there's this notion of self-acceptance, which is in a way being compassionate to yourself so that you're able to view yourself as who you are, where you are, and what you are with compassion. And from that compassion comes a what's known as the, the, the change paradox, which is your desire to fix yourself sort of recedes a bit because your self-acceptance has gone up. And that change paradox is the moment you have an acceptance of, of where you are, it sort of opens up the, the path to change. So compassion is very much at the heart of that. And I also think that the relationship between a coach and a coachee, that authentic relationship, because it is about the development of the coachee, it has to have compassion at the, at, the, at the center of it, which is the empathy of where you are, but then the, the impetus to, to act, to try to get to a different place, which is, is how I see compassion in the, in the coaching context. Compassion in the leadership context, if you think about the, the lockdown that was imposed on, on the world uh, two, two and a bit years ago, however long it was, that imposition of the lockdown was such a drastic, unprecedented step that people were bewildered. And certainly the anecdotal evidence that I've had about how people coped with that the best examples of how people coped with that was when there was compassion in the room rather than a a focus on uh, results. And so I think this notion of compassion as a building block for performance is certainly something I'm completely convinced about. And I think the sort of more transformative leadership that you spoke about has at its core compassion. So, Paul, it's been fantastic to listen to not only the wisdom that you've gleaned from from these great coaches, but also how you've taken it and made it your own your own leadership challenges. So, really, been fun as always to talk to you about about this kind of thing. Yeah, let's uh, let's get together and have a chat about another topic around what we can learn from the great coaches in the context of of leadership. Thanks, Grant. It's been a great discussion. I've really enjoyed talking about the overlap between leadership through the lens of high-performance sport and and how it intersects with the corporate world. So I've enjoyed it very much, and I look forward to the next discussion. We hope you enjoyed our episode on Tough Times and found one or two things that you can bring to your own dinner table, locker room, or boardroom table for discussion. If you like the conversation between Paul and Grant, enjoyed that format of our show and would like to take part in future discussions, please drop us an email. Here at The Great Coaches Podcast, we're always trying to get better. If you have any feedback, or better still, take the time to leave your feedback, your comments and suggestions wherever you get your podcasts. Our show has been heard in over 130 countries around the world. It's the interaction with you who listen that give us great energy. All the details on how you can connect with us are in the show notes or on our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.